Welcome to The Power of Italy with your host, Luisa Potenza. And we're sponsored by the Sons and Daughters of Italy in America, the largest organization in the United States, and very proud of it. And today, I'm very pleased to welcome to The Power of Italy a gentleman who has really made his mark in the music world, and that is John Primirano. John is a resident of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but today, he's a New Yorker, exactly, or tonight, I should say. Hello there, John. How are you? Hello, Louisa. How are you? Very uh, well. I'm fine, and I hope the same as with you. It's been a little while since we've spoken. Yes, it has. It has been years, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going through my memorabilia a little while ago, and I came upon... Um, the Italian crooners, uh, a flyer, actually, but not a flyer, but something that was um, autographed by Jerry Vale. And I'm that sure. yeah. it dates back to 2005. It's been that long. I can't believe that. I can't either. Where did the time go? I know. Well, for everyone out there, John is a composer, a pianist, and a songwriter. And as I said, he comes from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I want to ask you at the outset, did growing up in an Italian-American household have any influence on you as far as the pursuit of music? Well, um, I think listening to a lot of uh, recordings, um, we used to play records every Saturday afternoon. Yes. And... Uh, Of course. And uh, being from Philadelphia, Mario Alonzo. Oh, my. Uh, also uh, heard in the house. And, uh, yes. And did I, you have... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When I began to uh, add singing to my act, um, there were a few people that uh, influenced me. And uh, one I was that I, I listened to was... Uh, Right. Uh, right. And yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty much the answer to your your question. But that influenced me greatly. And I imagine your parents were very interested in music, and so it was. So you carried on with it. Well, and uh, the thing was is that uh, my mother had a good voice, and so did her sister, her eldest sister. Oh. How did you gravitate to the piano? Because, uh, as you well know, in Italian households, as far as, well, long time ago, you know, fathers would urge their children to take up the accordion. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, it's funny, but uh, I had uh, my first piano teacher, of course, he, he was Italian. 
But really? uh, for some reason, and maybe anybody out there listening, um, as a musician might understand this, but I just could never, I could never fathom playing one note and hearing a chord, and then another note was a, was a single, another uh, button, and it was another, like a, a lower note, and then a, and then you press another, was a chord. Um, the piano was was my instrument, even though I I did play clarinet later in, yeah. in high school, a marching band, and mm -hmm. uh, I had played a little guitar, but uh, I, uh, how that came about, and I've told this story many times, uh, when I was a little boy, I sang uh, on, the, uh, on the We Would Vacation in uh, what I call the Working Man's Riviera, which was Wildwood, New Jersey, and oh, yes. South Jersey. And we would drive from our home in North Philadelphia to uh, Wildwood. And they told me that I would stand in the back of the car and I would sing song after song after song. Oh, really? Uh, that was on the radio. Uh -huh. And so they, uh, they began to think that there was some kind of... Uh, uh, towards music. So one day, uh, sitting in a kitchen, um, they said to me, um, would you like to take music lessons? And I said, yes. And they said, do you have any idea what you would like to play? And first I said a saxophone, and then I said a guitar. And my folks kind of, they really didn't uh, they weren't. You know, go along with that. Oh. And one day, and it was around it was around this time of the year. It was right before Christmas. Yeah. And the elementary school that I went to uh, was built in 1899, and it had no uh, facilities like for a cafeteria. So we would have to uh, come home from school to have lunch, and then for an hour, and then we went back to school. Mm -hmm. Well, I had come home from school, and the doorbell rang. And I have to tell you that we live with my uh, maternal grandparents. And uh, the doorbell rang, and I answered the door, and there was a gentleman on the step. And he said, uh, uh, I've got the piano. Uh, we're, we're here to deliver the piano. That's what he said. Oh. And I said, I think you have the wrong house. And he insisted, and he had the right address. Uh-huh. So I called my mother. And I was eight years old. Eight and, years old. Um, my mother came and I said, this guy out here says he's got a piano that he wants to deliver here. So my mother said, I think you're here at the wrong place. And then my grandmother came out of the kitchen like a scud missile. <laughs> and and uh, she went through uh, the rooms of the house and she pushed everybody aside and said, bring it in right here. Oh, what and, what and a told, lovely! She told the, uh, the gentleman uh, to move. We had a Stromberg Carlson uh, record player, and uh, she told him to move that out of the way and put the piano in the spot. Oh. And consequently, a piano was now part of our household and my existence for the re remainder of. Yeah. My days from that, from that point. 
Yeah. I evidently she heard the conversation, and she also had taken notice of me because she liked, you know, um, when I was a kid. Roger Williams had a very big hit record with Autumn Leaves. Oh, yes, it was. she had the recording of that, and she would play that, and she loved that. And I would sit at our coffee table, and I would mimic on the coffee table playing the piano. Uh And so I guess uh, between overhearing some of the conversation about taking music lessons, she just went out and and bought a piano, unbeknownst to anybody. And... um, what a lovely surprise. And yeah, now I did a great Christmas present. Yes, I think so. My father, who uh, was an iron worker, but he, he tended bar um, um, on weekends, and there was a, this gentleman, um, Sonny Montana, played there, but he was a teacher. He, he taught privately, and in those days, he came, he came to the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, my father spoke to him about uh, about me studying with him, yeah. and he said, "I'd like to see the piano." So he came over one night, and he sat down and he played, and he was just phenomenal. And I remember vividly just being astounded by this man playing. And my, I remember my father saying to me, "Do you ever think you'll be able to play like that?" And of course, I had no answer for that question. Right? How could I didn't you? No one know from another. Yeah, but and, he inspired uh, you. I began studying with Tony after the holidays, and uh, you know, I, I guess uh, the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. Well, I understand that you performed at the tender age of fifteen. Now, how did that happen? Yes. Well, I I had been doing amateur things uh, from the time I was eleven. I was playing in our uh, school functions, uh, in assemblies, and um, I began. There was a uh, there was a local talent show, yes. and I was on that. And by the time uh, I was fifteen years old, um, from some of these talent uh, organizations. Um, a gentleman called me, or actually called my father, and he said uh, he had a phone call from a, a man who ran a USO unit, and he said that they needed somebody to play the piano. Well, you know, I I had never seen myself as a musical director or anything like that, but I figured any kind of experience would be great. My father asked me if I wanted to do it, and I said yes. And at the age of 15, I was playing for singers, dancers, tumbling acts, uh, you name it, I played for them. Amazing, amazing. That's great. Yeah, they all inspired you. You know, I, I must mention to the audience that you are, uh, how shall I say, and I'm so happy to say this, that you adhere to the American songbook, the great American songbook the wonderful chestnuts that we all love so dearly and we miss. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, that's always been my stock and trade. You know, I always try to, not so much anymore now, because radio has changed such a great deal. Yes. Um, I always uh, would try to add something that was a 
story yeah. that uh, was a was a hit that I could uh, include into my uh, performances. But uh, the the crux of my material are the standards, or what what used to be called the standards, and now the Great American Songbook. Mm-hmm. But uh, also, and again, this is a, I credit Tony with this because he taught me songs, uh, international songs, songs from all around the world. And I've always said it, and, and my folks were, were big on that too. Both of them you know, supported me uh, a thousand percent. Good. But they would come up with songs and say, you should know this or you should know that. And um, You added it to your repertoire. I would add it to, add it to my repertoire. And uh, um, eventually... All of that paid off at some time, at point or, or another. And I, I have found that everything that I've done, everything that I've learned, any experience that I had, somewhere along the way came up and and I was able to uh, handle what was, uh, was thrown at me. Uh-huh, right. Well, oh, I have to ask a basic question. Uh-huh. What piano do you play? Is it a Steinway? Is it a Yamaha? Is that right? Uh, it's, it was a Wurlitzer Spinet. Oh. And uh, I have, I have a, from when I was a teenager, I have another Wurlitzer. Yeah. Um, but uh, I do, I do like to, I, I worked on quite a few Yamahas, which are uh, fine instruments, and I also uh, have played on uh, Steinways. Mm-hmm. And, Okay. There's no particular reason other than the fact that uh, they seem to be the uh, the gold standard. You know? Right. Now you know what have to what comes to my mind. Uh, what is it about Philadelphia that has give has given us so many wonderful show business people? Do yeah, you? I, that that's a question I don't think uh, anyone has yet to be able to answer. You know, uh, in jest. People have uh, said uh, it's it's in the water. You know, <laughs> it's in the air. But uh, you're right. I mean, there's been so many people who have come out of the city. Mainly and, Italian, uh, right? Mainly Italian. Know, predominantly, you know, predominantly oh. in in the music end of it, they were Italian, and they were in mostly in uh, South Philadelphia, which is a very large. Um, the whole area is large, but there's a great, uh, you know, uh, great Italian ethnic population there. But there are there are other Italian neighborhoods all throughout the city, uh-huh. and uh, you had um, you had people like as a, the aforementioned Mario Lanza and Al Martino, and um, uh, later on you had Frankie Avalon, and you had uh, the late Bobby Rydell. Oh, and, yes. Uh, uh, James Darren, you know, he, he kind of was in acting as well as uh, had a few uh, hit records. Uh-huh. Um, but there were people from all over the city who... Uh, who, who uh, yeah, it's amazing. ...the city and, and uh, made, uh, made, as you said, made their mark in the uh, entertainment business. Right, right. 
So we revere Philadelphia, I'll tell you. But then again, it goes back to um, the power of Italy. (laughs) Isn't it very strong? Really is. Um, You know, I've known you so many years. I haven't been in touch with you, unfortunately, but now we are in touch. And how did this, um, your production company come about? Well, as you say, you know, um, there were years there where uh, uh, things uh, happened and uh, I, uh, I dealt with some really serious uh, family health issues. And um, when I was able, I put my career on hold and when I became active again, the business had changed a great deal. Yeah. I had always wanted to uh, do shows and and um, like concert type performances, and I did. I did do it for some organizations. Yeah. But uh, my uh, stock and trade had been um, as a lounge entertainer, and uh, I like to. I always kid around with this. I came up through the trenches, you know, and. Uh, so when I became active, I decided that uh, it, was, it was time to uh, um, perform uh, the way I had always wanted to do. I, and you remember, because I was uh, uh, at one of your uh, events. Yeah, the crooners. Louise's. The, it- no, and, the Italian uh, crooners, right? I, I performed there. Yes. And what I did there, I just, uh, I, ex- I extended and I scripted uh, the shows. And uh, so it, it has evolved into a 90-minute one-man show. Uh-huh. And uh, we would um, have a venue and in the beginning we would have the uh, dinner and the show that we sold tickets to and then it, it did exactly what I had wanted it to do other people began to notice and they would uh, book me for their uh, organizations for their uh, events and uh, then it was just uh, performing with the where we didn't uh, we didn't have to sell a ticket we didn't have to So it's been. It's that been. That came out of that came out of the fact that the uh, music industry had changed so much. You had so many people that were uh, singing the pre-recorded uh, tracks. Oh you know, yeah. They would, they would get a track and it, it didn't have the vocalist on it, and uh, they would sing to that kind of carry. That came out of karaoke thing, you know. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which is which is fine if you're at home, you know. Right. Yes. So um, there was more and more of that happening, and less and less um, professionalism. Who had uh, mm-hmm. musicians playing for them, and yeah. um, or singers who uh, who did a solo act, like myself, who accompanied themselves. Like what I do is kind of more like a Buddy Greco type of a thing, or a Nat King Cole. Oh, the thing. great Buddy Greco! Oh my, he was. <laughs> 
for. Yes, yes, indeed. You, you play primarily, or actually you perform primarily in the um, Pennsylvania area, of Pennsylvania, no, the state of Pennsylvania. It, it, it was uh, Pennsylvania and, and South Jersey, South Jersey uh, shore areas. Um, I spent 12 years uh, uh-huh. playing uh, summer seasons uh, in the South Jersey Shore area, predominantly in North Wildwood, New Jersey. But I've worked from Atlantic City, from resorts, uh, it was Resorts International, and then I worked the High Rollers Room at Bally's in Atlantic City. And uh, I've worked from there down to uh, Cape May, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I was going down and playing uh, preseason in the winter, like in February and, and March, and then the spring would come in, mm-hmm. and uh, then I would I'd spend the summer in this, uh, in either Wildwood or North Wildwood, New Jersey, and um, and then I would stay down afterwards, and I would play. So mm-hmm. at a period of my life, I was doing about uh, I was spending about six months of the year in the South Jersey areas. Right. And, uh, I mean, the short areas from Atlantic City down to Cape May. Okay. And, yes, I, I, I built up a, a very, very large following from people from, uh, well, about four states. I, had, I used to have people that traveled from Yonkers, New York. Oh, congratulations. Uh, That's wonderful. Uh, see me perform Yonkers. Uh, the Lehigh Valley area, particularly Allentown, and uh, up from Baltimore, from Delaware, mm-hmm. uh, and then in other areas of South Jersey that were maybe about an hour away from Philadelphia. Yeah. But I played, I played, uh, well, and I and I played all over. I, you know, as you know, I've I've come to Long Island to do your show. I've I go to. Well, that was a very long time ago. I was Oh yes, Jim Lowe and Company. Right, um, and I will. You know, I'll perform uh, anywhere. You know, it's just that Philadelphia is my base. At one time, I would have relocated if it was a career move, but I had built up a very substantial following uh-huh. and reputation. The funny thing is, when I was when I was a kid, I went to New York. Uh, with this uh, couple, and they had a daughter who was a few years younger than me. We were teenagers, and she sang, and I played for her, and they talked their way into the William Morris Agency. Yes. And they had no appointment, but uh, the father created a star, and in order to you know calm things down, they agreed to listen to her, and they listened to her and they said um, to both of us that uh, the advice that they gave us was, was to stay in our, our hometowns, make a name for ourselves, and if we had anything on the ball, they would get us because they were the largest agency in right. the world. And I took that to heart. And so I made myself... Uh, I developed a, as I said, the following, and 
too. Yeah, exactly. Because even though people traveled to see me, it was very hard to make a transition to, say, New York City. And uh, so I made Philadelphia my base, and uh, if there was any reason to relocate, I would if it was a career move. I, I was not going to go someplace else and start knocking on doors all over again. Right. Because I was working and doing what I love to do, and I was entertaining people. Wonderful. You know what I have to say? You know, as the song goes, New York, New York, if I make it there, I'll make it anywhere. Right. Um, have you any regrets that you haven't really performed in, let's say, Manhattan at one of the clubs? Oh, good. People, I mean, just this past May, I performed in New York City at uh, um, the American Popular Songwriter Society. Oh, lovely. Um, every year they have a program called the, the New Song Program. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, was, uh, I was fortunate to be on that program doing three songs that I wrote from uh, my CD, Somewhere South of Heaven. I was just about to ask like you about that. I just wanted to mention. And then, you know, um, there were a couple things that happened. There was, I was really starting to make some headway when there was illness in the family, and oh. uh, and then again when COVID came in and shut everything down. So uh, right, it's been uh, difficult, I would say. That's what I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to allude now to your your songwriting, yes. and you mentioned that you have written three songs. There's only well, one that I'm familiar with, and, and what are the others? Well, they were three songs that the, the, I had when I put the uh, CD out. They were um, I had five standards, uh, including an Italian and English version of "I'll Be Love." And uh, five songs to which I wrote the words of music mm -hmm. in various styles, right. including a country pop song, which was the title right. of the album, Somewhere South of Heaven, in a, a, like an Oak, Oak Ridge Boys kind of style. Mm -hmm. And um, um, 
telling you that, I forgot exactly what your what your question was about the no the songs that you have written. Oh yeah, well in the, in the book that you mentioned, um, um, the Italian Kroner's book, um, the first page of the music for uh, two songs that I wrote. One's uh, maybe someday, and another one is uh, yes, song. I love that one. I love um, that one. Filippo Voltaggio, yes. didn't happen. What a shame. Yeah. gravitates to North Carolina. Are you are you writing songs now? Are you busy doing that yeah, as I, well? Um, 
Yes. And uh, I've been toying with the idea of either doing an extended play or another CD. Mm-hmm. Um, so my efforts might be in that. Uh, I also wrote a, uh, a novel. And, uh, Did you? I wanted to uh, kind of uh, go over that and maybe fatten that out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's what I'm thinking about after the first of the year. Well, that's um, wonderful. And we have other venues to look into as well mm-hmm. uh, to do shows. Well, in this really a sterling career that you have had, and uh, what would you deem the ultimate experience you have had along the way? Oh, my. I, I, when you said about being 15 before the USO thing began, um, I was on a, uh, a show with uh, uh, Jimmy Durante. Oh. Jimmy Durante, uh, Eddie Jackson, and at the time, Sonny King. Oh, wonderful. And, uh, that was quite an experience at the age of 15. I would say so. Watch, to watch Jimmy Durante perform. Yeah. And he was such a nice man. Yes. Um, it, was, it was a police athletic league um, anniversary. And yeah. we had this little group that performed in the, in the surrounding areas. And it was all, all the programs were... Basically, kind of a dress rehearsals for this big event, and it was a very, very big event. And uh, Jimmy Durante opened. Well, the second half of the show closed, and uh, he opened. Well, the first half of the excuse me, the first half of the show closed, and he opened the second half. And uh, backstage, you know, of course, this was in the mid 60s and uh, nobody had uh, cell phones then to to take pictures and everything but some of the younger kids that were in the show their parents at least their mothers would come backstage and had cameras and uh, they were snapping pictures and everybody who wanted a picture he just he he would pose he he could just he would just (laughs) you know just he was a natural face and and strike a pose, and they would snap pictures with him. And uh, he was a nice man backstage, and he was a great entertainer. And I always see, always said, "What you see is what you get." With uh, right, oh with yeah, what you got with, with Jimmy, Jimmy Duran. He was just a, a very, very nice man. Right. And um, through the years, um, and we mentioned Buddy Greco. Uh, I would say, like in. Uh, the last uh, 10 years of his life, after having crossed paths with him a couple of times, um, we got to be uh, more friendly, and uh, we spoke on the phone a few times. We, we emailed each other, excuse me, uh, quite a bit, and I even, even passed along a... Uh, a greeting to him, uh, to Jack Jones. And, oh, my, uh, Jack Jones. All these wonderful entertainers. Oh, my. Uh, I spent 
under the direction of uh, Duke Ellington's son, Mercer. Right. They were playing a private party at the uh, Benjamin Franklin Hotel in uh, Center City, Philadelphia. And I was playing in the Kite and Key Room, which was their lounge and their, their restaurant. And uh, I was playing there five nights a week. And Mercer Ellington had come into um, the room and he went to the back and he got, I remember he got a dip of vanilla and chocolate ice cream. Uh-huh. And I was on a break and I got a cup of tea and we were talking and he said, I always like to play Philadelphia because it has the best ice cream in the world. <laughs> and we got to be pretty friendly during the course of the night because he, they were on a break when I was on a break. Yeah. And at the end of the night, I said to him, I would really like to hear the band, I said, but uh, I said, um, I know it's a private party and I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't want to uh, intrude. Mm-hmm. So he said, he'd come with me. And we walked out, we got on the elevator and he took me up and uh, I got to hear the band and I listened to them play a set. And I stayed there to say goodnight to him because I didn't want to overstay my welcome. And uh, he was walking to the back where I was and people were stopping him and talking to him. And uh, he came to me and said, me, I'm awful sorry. He said, that, he said uh, you, were, you were standing there by yourself. And I said, believe me, you don't have to apologize to me. I said, I don't, I don't even belong here. I said, it was very nice of you to bring me up mm-hmm. here. So that was a very nice experience. I met Count Basie there. Oh my! Um, I met so many people in the in the industry mm-hmm. that I stayed friendly with, like uh, Angelina, singer actress Angelina, and her husband Andy mm-hmm. Mercia, and uh, I'm uh, friends with Dental today. Yeah. And uh, so there was a lot of things there that uh, um, I kind of chalk up. But I also did work in. In uh, feature films. Yes, I was going to allude that. You also were an actor. In in commercials and in industrial films. But uh, I began as a non-union extra, and I worked in a miniseries called George Washington, and it had quite a few well-known people. Barry Bosford played George Washington, Uh and one of the people was uh, Robert Stack. Oh, and, uh, yeah. I think I'm maybe going on a little long here, but to make a long story. No, tell us about the movies that you've appeared um, in. I didn't know at the time that you weren't allowed to bring a camera on the set and take pictures. It was considered unprofessional. Uh-huh. And uh, I really didn't have a lot of experience behind me at that point uh, in the acting field. Yeah. And somebody said to me, you want to get a really good picture, go over this hill here. He said, the, the trailers are, are over this hill. And he said, uh, Robert Stack, Jeremy Kemp, and John Glover are standing there talking. So I saw them, and uh, I asked a fellow who was in my group uh, of militiamen, I said, uh, if I ask Robert Stack to take a picture with me, I said, will you, would you take it? 
Yeah. So I went down and I excused myself and I told him that I had been a fan and I mentioned a few movies he was in as well as besides The Untouchables. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was probably the shyest person I ever met in the business. Really? And uh, he looked down at the ground with a smile on his face and he said to me, uh, is it going to cost me anything? <laughs> and I said, I got my own camera, I have my own film, and it won't cost you a nickel. Uh-huh. And he said to me, well, okay. So the other fellows start to move away. And then he said, no, no. He said, let's all get in the picture together. And now the picture is on my, on my wall of memorabilia. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. You know, you know, I picture, when I see, when I think of you, I think of you in a, in a club or a lounge, and there you are in an, in an elegant suit, and you're playing the piano. But then the audience is not in tune with you? In other words, sometimes you will have a disrespectful audience. How do you combat that? Well, the toughest part is an indifferent kind of an audience. And uh, yeah, sometimes they're, um, they could be loud, they could be whatever. In, in, in the lounges, it's, uh, it's tough. Right. In the shows, that's, that's one of the great things that I like about doing the shows is because, um, People have generally, most of the times, or if, it, if, it's, a, if it's an event, they they want to see what you're going to, uh, what they paid for, and what they what they're going to hear. But um, first of all, you have to understand that that's going to be part of the business. Yeah, that's tough. And uh, if you don't understand that going in, then it's not the business for you. Mm-hmm. Is it frustrating? I'm not saying it's not frustrating. It can be very frustrating. Uh, as a matter of fact, I read Mel Torme's uh, autobiography, and he talked about nights when um, you know the, the audiences were kind of like lukewarm, and he used to say, "Well, I'll get them tomorrow night." Um, and he was comparing because. He and Sammy Davis were working together in Vegas, and he said Sammy wouldn't uh, wouldn't stand for that. He would he would just go on and on. The show would go on and on and on until he made those people get involved. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes there were nights when you just say, "Well, you know, yeah, I'll get them tomorrow night." And there's other nights when you get very very frustrated, and you throw out different types of music to see. What you may get a reaction from, and that that can help. Yeah, and um, you have to have a part of the business, and it's just no. You have to have a thick skin. You have to have a thick skin, and you have to be very confident. That's that's, what I. In in all honesty, that's that's true. Yeah, I. um, um, It's happened to you, I'm sure. young I, I I knew a lot of songs when I was very young so yeah uh, I was always at home since I sat down at the piano yeah that's great well we are I think we're about exceeding our time but I did want to ask you a, a few other questions um, I want to ask you about your heritage yes your heritage is Calabria yes okay 
or right. And the other thing is, I don't know, um, uh, it may be a very delicate question, I don't know, but is Primerano your stage name? Because I, in all my experience, I haven't heard that surname. It's unusual. That's that's my real name. It's a lovely name. I'll I'll say to you that when I was young, I guess I was about, I guess I was about uh, 11 years old or 12 years old when I said to my father, this, I know, this is what I want to do. And uh, I want to be in the entertainment business. And there had been other influences. I mean, we, my my father and I used to go to the movies quite often. And uh, I think we saw every Frank Sinatra picture that, uh-huh. Uh, that he made when he uh, uh, was in his in the fifties on his uh, after his comeback, you know. Yeah. Uh, and the Joker's Wild had an effect on me. Um, yeah. Him standing in front of an audience, um, Danny Thomas, you know, at, at, when he at the end of the, um, his TV show, I used, I used to love the fact I wanted to wear a tuxedo. My biggest uh, goal in life is to wear a tuxedo. And now and to you be in front of an audience. <laughs> so he said to me that he was behind it a hundred percent. But he said, I'll tell you right now and that's the way he talked. <laughs> he said to me, I'll tell you right now, you're not changing your name. Oh, uh huh. Well it's a lovely name. He it said, really is. That's why I thought possibly There's no it was- reason to change your name, he said to me. So that never even crossed my mind to get a uh, a stage moniker, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean that was an order. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, even though I was an only child, I was not treated like an only child. I wasn't wasn't treated in a spoiled manner, you know? Yeah. Um, if my father said jump, I said how high, you know? Okay. And, and, uh, but we were, we were best of friends, too. Yeah. And uh, he said to me, you're not changing your name. Now, it's funny you mention that because the only Primeranos that I ever knew growing up and even into my adult years were my relatives. Uh-huh. I say and, it is not a usual name. I really... I was appearing at a, uh, at a venue that uh, had a very, very nice lounge, probably one of the, the closest you could find outside of New York City that would look like the Cafe Carlisle. Yeah. And... Uh, it was also an Italian restaurant. The rest of the uh, the rest of the uh, room, the place. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was I was separated and was performing just to uh, people who, who would come in uh, to hear the entertainment. Yeah. And um, they had my they had a big poster of me outside in the, or in the window mm-hmm. and. Uh, one day we did a uh, we did a private party in the afternoon, and I was leaving. As I walked out, there was a little Italian couple, a man and a woman, about the same size, and they were waiting uh, for the uh, for the restaurant part to open up to the uh, public. And they were staring at my picture. And as I walked out, the gentleman saw me, and he said, uh, "I see you." <laughs> and, I, and I said, yes, I said, that, that's, that's me. I said, oh, good afternoon. And so he said to me, uh, you're from uh, Reggio. 
Oh. Yeah, and I and I looked at him and I, I stopped and I said, yeah, you're right. I said, uh, how do you know that? And he says, I know. <laughs> and I said, but how do you know? He said, I know. <laughs> and I, I just, it was beyond my scope of understanding. Yeah. And I said to him, but how do you know that? Reggio Calabria. And he said to me, from your name. Oh, okay. There we have it. Uh huh. And that was one thing. Now, ever since the computer uh, kind of began to rule our lives, um, I have come across Primoranos in Canada, with whom I become very, very uh, uh, much in touch with. I've become friends with Primoranos in Buenos Aires. I've ah. become friends with Primoranos almost um, in Italy. Uh, oh, really? Quite a slew of them. And uh -huh. All from Calabria. Okay. So the name is obviously indigenous. So I go around and I tell people today that I used to think I had a unique name. Uh -huh. but in, now you're not so sure. <laughs> in Italy, I guess it, it appears to me that at least in the, in the Calabrian region, yeah. it looks like it might be equivalent of Smith. So yeah, yeah. There might be uh -huh. a lot of guys that are checking into motels okay. that are using, <laughs> using <What>? my name. <laughs> and um, so that's a... Uh, okay. Uh, well, John, uh, this has so been... Anyway, I even found out that in Australia, there is a Primarana wine company. Is that right? So there you yeah. go. There you go. So it's not that unusual at all. Right. Well, only <laughs> but, uh, here, only in, in this country. Though. Right, right. Um, when I used to go to New York, I would look in a phone book, and I found Primoranos uh, yeah. in, uh, in New York City, mm -hmm. in Brooklyn. Uh, a gentleman once came in many years ago uh, to a place I was playing, and he had a, an American Legion hat on, and he had a nameplate, and his name was Joseph V. Primorano, and he was from Staten Island. Oh. <laughs> and... Uh, I had never seen him. He, he said, we had to come and see you because he said, uh, of your name. We saw it advertised in the paper. Yeah. And I said, well, thank you. And then he turned his head sideways and his, his, his nameplate was on his cap. Yeah. And uh, I saw the name and he told me that he found him around in Tennessee and in uh, a few other states as well. Okay. Well, John, this has been... Uh Almost an hour. It's been a wonderful time. It really has. Well, I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah. You know, I, I'm talking to you just like you and I are having a telephone conversation. You know, well, that's right? a good thing, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it's very easy to speak with you. We know each other for so long. Yeah. You know? Thank you. Thank you. And I feel the same way. So we're going to have to go, but uh, huh? not for 20 years. Not for another well, no, 20 years. No, no way. No. But, uh, I do want to say that uh, thank you for having me on your show. My pleasure. It's a real pleasure. It certainly is always a pleasure to speak with you. No, it's time, and uh, I appreciate it greatly. Not at all. It was my pleasure, really. And I think that um, it's going to be very, very uh, interesting for the audience because um, I'm going to say the, the names that you dropped, oh, wow. People are going to say, oh, yeah, him. And, oh, really? It's, um, it's going back. It's memories. Wonderful, wonderful memories. 
So um, thank you for that. It, it, it's, I'll tell you, I, I had some great, um, I had great experiences. I, I, I really, um, and thank I you for sharing them with us. With a lot of, um, a lot of great, uh, people in the entertainment yeah. business yeah. and in the music business. Okay. In particular. Well, much, much luck to you in the future. Keep writing, keep playing. Okay. Oh, yeah. We love oh, it. As, yeah. as a fellow Italian, we're very proud. <laughs> allora, we have to say arrivederci. Arrivederci. Which means till we meet again. Okay? Till we meet again, and that will not be as long as it has been. No, no, it won't. We'll talk about that. So I am going to say the conclusion. I hope everyone enjoyed this. I know I enjoyed the interview very much. Well, thank um, you again. Not it's at been all. a real pleasure, and I hope I didn't um, take up. Uh, no, 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 not at all. Not to worry. So that maybe you had other questions or something like that. No, well, I just kind of, one thing kind of leads into another, you know. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's how it should be, you know. So, as the young people say, no worries, John. No worries. Allora, <laughs> arrivederci, <laughs> and to my audience. Um, Hey, we'll be back next Sunday, okay? Um, uh, Power of Italy is on every Sunday. And every Sunday there's a new episode. But the last couple of weeks I've been kind of uh, down with this new virus that's circulating. So I've got my voice back and I made uh, good use of it, I think. So I'm wishing everybody tante belle cose until we meet again. Ciao.